Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. All right, well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are glad to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes with you. Seth, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? Oh, I usually ask you that question. I know. Um, I am, I'm, tr- I'm tired this morning. It's it's 6.46 a.m. It's a great time. The sun is rising out my eastern window um, mm, in the, eastern at, the window. Spoken, at the Spoken Gospel office, and I'm tired. Like, yeah. I'm tired. I don't know why. I got. I like went to bed What's plenty of time. It's no. <laughs> I, I hate that. <laughs> There's a thing at spoken gospel offices where you can't blame the day your of the motion week <laughs> on the day of the week. <laughs> it's like, man, you're you're kind of just dragging today, huh? Monday, right? No, no, that doesn't it's like, exist. <laughs> it's like, I'm just feeling really unmotivated because it's Friday. Ah, oh, that's it's Hevel. It's Hevel. <laughs> And there's the segue. And there's the, and segue. There's the segue. We always find one. We should also point out something fun about what's happening right now is that these podcasts are now done with me full time on staff at Spoken Gospel. Wow. You just dropped that should so I casually. <laughs> that was so casual. So yes, the we have three we have this one and two more episodes to record remotely while Seth transitions from Kansas City back to Oklahoma City. In a crazy turn of events. In a crazy turn of events. But because of the generous support of some of our supporters, Seth and his family are being able to move back to Oklahoma and to join Spoken Gospel full time. Full time. I'm so yeah. excited. I'm already excited. I have so, been excited. Yeah. So he yeah. is going to be mainly focusing on um, content that we're making and uh Helping us, especially with our devotionals, because we're trying to do a devotional on every single literary unit of scripture, and yeah. uh, he has yeah. his handfuls, his hands full. Of that. So like so, six hundred of those, maybe. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. So drop a drop a comment, welcoming somewhere. Seth somewhere yeah. to a spoken gospel. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so let me set up what's going to happen today. So we spent a lot of time talking uh, about time. Talking about time last time. There we go. Uh, we we kind of went through Ecclesiastes three one to fifteen last time, uh, and we talked about this famous um, poetics uh, like what's the word I'm looking for a section. Oh, there yeah. we go. Time to um, weep and a time to laugh. A time yes. to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and sometimes just to pick up a bunch of stones. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, my dad would literally he's like move all that mulch from that corner of the yard to that corner of the yard. And then, like a week passed, like actually, we need it in the other cor- back where you found it. I'm like, Hevel, Dad, smoke, <laughs> smoke. Um, I learned Hevel yeah, early on did. from household chores. You really did. And, One time, um, I dug a hole, <laughs> and then I was just told to fill it back in again. No. I took this giant, like five foot across, three foot deep hole, and then my dad was like, "Oh, we're not going to put anything in there." Fill Sisyphus. It back like, That's Sisyphus. What are you doing to me anyway? Oh no. Well, I've experienced it firsthand, guys. So, 
that is actually not what this text is about. Uh, As we as we discussed at length last episode, this text was is all about the unknowability of God's plan. That there is a plan that God has been working from eternity past to eternity future. And we can't know it. And it seems like anytime we try to get line ourselves up with it, we're always just a minute late or we chose the the wrong activity and we just can't sync up with God's time. That's right. Yeah. And so we hear this um, this line here, if I can find it, is yeah, in uh, three fifteen, whatever is whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. So it's this little like turn of a phrase that's kind of like there's nothing new under the sun is kind of what it's saying, mm-hmm. and God has planned the future, and we can't do anything about it is like this idea. And we hear that same um, kind of line repeated at the end of chapter 6 in Ecclesiastes. And in between the two are a bunch of seemingly loose sayings, yes. um, and they weave in and out of two genres. So we kind of go into what sound like the book of Proverbs every now and then, where these these short, um, dichotomized, pithy sayings. Um, Here's an but example then it, in 4-5. Okay, yeah. uh, the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh, meaning like the fool is lazy and ends up just destroying himself. Mm-hmm. Better then is a handful of quietness than two hand, but then <laughs> it's, it goes crazy. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. So he says it's better to do it, it's foolishness to do mm-hmm. nothing because you're going to eat your own flesh. But at the same time, it's also better to have a quiet life than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. So don't not work and don't work too hard. Right. Strive for quietness somewhere in the middle. That's yep. the proverb. So anyway. Yeah, exactly. So he, he has these these very familiar sounding proverbs, but kind of with a Kohelet bent to them. Yes. Uh, but then it slips right back into old Kohelet that we're used to after three chapters, who just sounds like he's making observations again. I saw or I observed or I concluded, and he makes uh, an observation about something. And it's like, oh, this is back to the regular Ecclesiastes, like my yeah, regular like, schedule so programming. If I, if he, uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, uh, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. When yep. supply increases, so does demand. It's a yep. endless there's only cycle. There's yeah. only folly. He's only showing folly. Yeah. And it's like, but it seems like it's a good thing. But nope, it's Hevel and it's yeah. smoke. And and then, so we get through all of those, and then we get to the end of chapter 6, which repeats kind of what we read earlier in 6.10. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. And so it's like mm. the same thing. Um, what exists has already been named. God has already said what was going to happen, and now it's going to happen. And we can't know it. Humanity ha- uh, cannot, be know- uh, cannot know it. And then... Um, who can contend with God's will is like this whole yeah. thing that's God, happening. God judges what's right yep. and what's wrong. He determines the times and the seasons. We need to deal with the life that we're given, not right. hope that this life can bring about the eternity or the um, the Eden. That we we yeah, have to like yeah, give up Eden. hope yep. that this life can bring us the satisfaction that we want it to want it to give us. Right, because um, that's not in our hands; it's in God's. Exactly. And so what what happens in between these two sections, using these two different mediums of um, like Proverbs and Kohelet observations, um, 
is kind of like Kohelet proving his point that um, you can't quite use time correctly. Um, and, and really, I, I think a good way to think about everything that happens within these sections is under the heading of unfulfilled expectations. Yeah. You think something is going to yield a certain result, and it always lets you down. And so we're yes. going to go through some of those, but I think there's some other ways you want to talk yeah, about so understanding these. I think unmet expectations is a really helpful way to look at most of the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm. Like we look at to something, wealth, power, money, sex, uh, to satisfy us and i mean mm-hmm. he even says it here at the end of chapter six um he says all the toil of man is for his mouth yet his appetite is not satisfied like we, yeah. we work and we work and we work to do what to eat <laughs> and then in the morning we're always hungry right like that's like that's just the way life works so like unmet expectations is a really helpful way to like uncover the wisdom in the book of ecclesiastes but another kind of like secondary context to what's happening in the book of ecclesiastes is fatherly wisdom mm. to a son so if we go back to the book of proverbs the book the whole book of proverbs or much of the book of proverbs is cast as like fatherly kingly wisdom to his successor son so mm. if you go just look, go back to the book of Proverbs, all over the place. It'll be something like, my son, my son, my son, do this, mm-hmm. don't do this. My son, don't do this, don't do this. Which is another reason why in the book of Proverbs, uh, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are women. is mm. because a father's talking to his son who will one day choose a wife, choose a spouse. Right. And he's saying, choose the wife of wisdom, not the wife of folly. Marry yourself to wisdom and right living and obeying the commands of God because otherwise mm. it leads to death. So, like, there's this theme within wisdom literature of a father speaking to his son. And Kohelet, it's not as pronounced, but it is there. At the very end of the book uh, in Ecclesiastes 9, or sorry, not 9. Uh, 12. 12. Uh, 12, ver- oh, sorry, actually the first reference is in Ecclesiastes 11, 9. Rejoice, Ooh. O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So apparently, Kohelet, or the author, or the compiler of Ecclesiastes, imagines the book of Ecclesiastes being picked up by a young man and reading it as a way to live his life. Hmm. And then in verse 12 of chapter 12, it says, My son, beware of anything beyond these, referring to um, the wisdom of Kohelet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of the point is, what we also have happening here is not just unmet expectations kind of like laid out in the ether. Potentially, you even have a father communicating to his son how he should live the rest of his life. And in particular, a kingly son, a kingly father to his son who will one day take the throne. Mm. So the, the son is um, the prince who's one day going to take the throne. The idea is that this wisdom is supposed to help him rule better to rule with less folly and more wisdom than his father did. So that's mm. another way to think about it. And it kind of makes sense, most particularly of that cultivated fields reference I made earlier. If you see in your province, the, in your province, in a province, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice, because there's somebody who will swap tire, well, what's to do? What are you supposed to do? A king committed to cultivated fields. If you just concentrate on cultivated fields, not only will you be provided for, my son, but the poor in the land will also have a place to work. So, like, that's a sub-theme or even just mm. a way to understand wisdom literature in general that I think is also helpful here. A father speaking to his son. Yeah. What, like, how does that 
help us or like why do you think he was writing this way or picking up on this tradition of a kingly father writing to a princely son in the context of some of the smokish sayings of Ecclesiastes. Like, how is that helpful? Like, hey, son, let's sit down and have a conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. Everything's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why do you think, like, does that, does that, does that to you help? Does the father-son dynamic, like, fit that or help well, explain I that? Well, I think it's like, we both have sons. And yes. I know there's already been times with my four-year-old where I've had to just sit down and explain to him, Hey, bud, this is not the way life works. Just mm-hmm. because you say you want something and throw a tantrum <laughs> about it doesn't mean you're going to get it. Wait, In what? fact, you could work really hard and not get that thing. So, like, I've had to have like those, like, mm. this is what the world's really like, Shiloh. Like, you need to kind of set adjust your expectations. I've had those conversations with my daughter as well. So in one sense, it just helps me make sense of what's happening here. This book is really hard to understand. Why would somebody always just be harping on the same point? Unmet expectations, unmet expectations, unmet expectations. Don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put mm-hmm. your hope in sex. Don't put your hope in women. Don't put your hope in this. Like, well, that's what a good father would do. Mm. And if this father is also a king, that also has ripple effects for the whole country or the whole kingdom that the right. king is a part of. And if this father is a king speaking to his son, we also have a picture of what Jesus would say to us as we rule in his kingdom as well. So I'm thinking, I was thinking like even verse six, seven, chapter six, verse seven, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus say? Uh, man shall not, not live, live by bread, bread alone, alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. Why does uh, Kohelet or the author here in verse five tell his, his audience, whether it's a son or somebody else to fear the Lord and to obey his commandments? Well, because man shall not live off the hevel of life alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. That's the final verse of uh, Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every deed into judgment whether with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is mm-hmm. the whole duty of man. So I think it's also a way to see this book as straight from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus the king speaking to us about how bread will not satisfy we can only be satisfied in his law and in his kingdom. I think that's part of like all like the mm. threads I'm pulling together. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense and I think it's helpful especially when I think about these seemingly disconnected sayings in this section where mm-hmm. we move from one subject to the next and it seems like there wasn't really a good logical handoff between the two. It does feel like I'm reading proverbs again. Right. Um and uh and so I think that's helpful where it's like uh you know, a father like who would like write down a saying in his kingly court and then go be distracted by some kind of thing to do or, rem- oh, oh, I also wanted to tell my son this and then write the next thing. Um, but, you know, we also have mentioned how well-crafted Ecclesiastes is mm-hmm. from a literary standpoint, that it's very intentional. And so I think the I think the logical conclusion has to be that um, Kohelet is intentionally creating a counter proverbs, you know, stylistically, because it even says um, that what you mean by that is that the disjointed nature of the proverbs, the reason why you go from the vanity of wealth to fearing God, to how to cultivate lands. Like Mm -hmm. the reason why that's disjointed is to point you to the fact that life is full of 
unmet expectations. Life is hevel. Life is confusing. Life doesn't work out the way that you're supposed to. It's it proves the point of Kohelet. Yes, I think so. Literally speaking, like I think the disjointed structure um, helps prove Kohelet's point. Fascinating. Just, yeah, but I also think that he is intentionally um, mimicking or mirroring the book of Proverbs. We know he's mm-hmm. very familiar with it. He might even be the same author. Um, but Ecclesiastes 12 says, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. Mm-hmm. So like he's a Proverbs genius, right. you know? And, uh, and so like, and I think, yeah, I think that he's, he's creating these counter Proverbs where it's like, this sounds like the book of Proverbs, doesn't it? But I'm not going to let, but it's not going to end the way you think it's going to end. Right. The wisdom's always going to have this slant to it, this like mm-hmm. pessimistic ish slant to it. And what's fascinating, I think, what about, about what you just said is that the book of Proverbs will all, like, scholars on the book of Proverbs will say the disjointed nature of Proverbs itself mm-hmm. actually points to the way wisdom normally functions. Like, the way that we gain wisdom is not by sitting down in the space of six months, learning all that we can about wealth. And then Mm -hmm. in the next six months, learning all the wisdom there is about proper relationships with your spouse. And then in the next six months, learning all about proper relationships with your children. Normally, the way wisdom is gathered is by you live your life. And in one moment, you're disciplining your child, and then you're having a fight with your wife, and then you have to budget something, and then then um, your boss screws you over at work, and you ha- don't have a job anymore, and you gather wisdom from all these different places simultaneously. So the mm-hmm. book of Proverbs presents to you wisdom as it happens in your life, in bits and pieces, in random moments, because that's the way wisdom works. Yeah, that's helpful. That's so, really helpful. And so in Kohelet, fast, like in a really interesting twist, is doing the same thing. This is the mm-hmm. way wisdom works. Yeah, but it's because not, this is the way life works. Because this is the way yeah. life works. And in Proverbs, it's so do this in order to uh, be wise. Yeah. And Kohelet says, avoid this. Like, is yeah. that? I was trying to like get it like to the heart of the difference between Proverbs and Kohelet. Like, Proverbs is a moral like thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, do this to be wise. And Kohelet's is avoid this if you want to be wise. Those, I mean, I think like, there's a lot of avoidance text in Proverbs, like a ton true. of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, avoid true. lady folly, flee from her, all those kinds of things. Um, you know, don't hang out with fools, don't keep company with misers, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that's the difference. I think the difference is their conclusions and how they believe that wisdom is something solid that can be jumped upon or something smoky that you run through. And so Proverbs says, wisdom always prevails, you know, and Ecclesiastes says, let me test that. And he's like, I tested it. I know the Proverbs. See, look, I even wrote some. And let me tell you something. It doesn't always work out the way you want it to. You know, he's just, he's throwing Proverbs up against the wall in a fallen world and seeing what sticks. And what he finds out is that nothing actually always sticks. And that's, that's the problem that Ecclesiastes is Mm -hmm is showing he's he's showing that like yes proverbs is showing the way of eden but we don't live in eden anymore Mm. (laughs) like and so he's like every now and then you stumble into it and you can create little edens uh but like it just doesn't work that way sometimes that's helpful and so um we've kind of framed this section uh i think we can wrap up this section and dive into a couple other or kind of uh, a couple of the unmet expectation texts within these these two bookends before we do i want to jump back to something you said about 
king like the kingly jesus being this like saying these texts to us yeah, yeah. and i would just uh i would just like want to tap against that a little bit and 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 be like there are a lot of things in here that jesus wouldn't say <laughs> so give me an example well i i don't think jesus would say some of the things we read and this chap- is an evil under the sun <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah this is an this is an evil thing god has given to man i'm like uh, i don't know if jesus would say it exactly like that i also don't know if jesus would say things like we're going to read here very soon in ecclesiastes 3 uh, 18 i said to myself as as for humans god tests them so that they may see that they are like animals surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals and both await the same fate and i'm like Jesus talked about eternal life and resurrection, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I just don't think they have the same fatherly advice to give because he came from above the sun and didn't limit himself to under the sun. And so I think that's the good news Jesus brings is that into a life that's fixed on heaven and can't see past it, Jesus comes and says, let me show you what is beyond the grave. Let me show you what is a meaningful life. Let me show you how to die to yourself to live to me. Like Jesus came and brought a... Um, a perfect blending of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes because he he brought the justice of God and the wisdom of God and said, follow me like you would follow Lady Folly. But he did that inside a fallen world that required his death. Like he had to taste the fruit of the fall in order to bring us the the tree of life of wisdom. And, and so I think I think Jesus comes as like the perfect embodiment of both Kohelet and the author of Proverbs. Okay, so the very first thing we come we come upon, the first topic we come upon after the uh, bookended statement of whatever it is has already been, uh, and God will cause all things to come into account, um, we get this saying in 16 of uh, chapter 3, and I saw something else under the sun. What is it, Kohelet? <laughs> he says, in the place, <laughs> more heaven, <laughs> in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And so he's saying, I, I looked at the place where there was supposed to be good judgment. So like a court. Yes. I looked at a place where justice was supposed to be doled out in good sentence. Um, you know, like a police, a police station yeah, or yeah. like, uh, yeah, any, I mean, even like at a, like from a parent to a child, anywhere where judgment and justice were supposed to be done, whether the high places of the land or the low, I looked and it's not that injustice or a lack of judgment were there. It's yeah, wickedness. Yeah. Wickedness was there in those places. And, um, man, I'm just like, it's, it's what it's July 1st, 2020. And we are in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement resurgence because of so much police brutality. Yep. And this is such a, um, I mean, a moment of, of be like, I, I, we look to these places to of these justice places and justice. judgment, and what do we yeah. see? Wickedness. Yeah. And like, that's depressing. Yeah, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, like, you, it's yeah. Like, like, and that's not the way it should be. No, and but that's the way that it always is. Yes, and that's always has been. Yeah. Um, and that's what Kohel is pointing out. Like this is the way on the earth outside of Eden, justice works. Where there's supposed to be justice, 
wickedness reigns. Yeah. Now, is he saying that there has never been a good judge or never been a good ruler? No. Or that there's never any good cops? No. Of course not. His dad, if this is Solomon, was David. Or if not, he at least comes from the line of David and knows that David did good. And even Solomon had had some moments of wise rulership. But, but the, like, like the arc of history, yes, there does we not go. bend towards justice. No, as Martin Luther King like, mm-hmm. said, like Dr. Martin Luther King said, it's like yep. it bends towards injustice. That's right. Like it bends towards wickedness. Yep. And then he says another thing, verse seventeen. Yeah. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. So I, I, so one thing that he's doing is he he brings up this idea of judgment throughout mm-hmm. the book of Ecclesiastes. You just said it, God will bring to account the past. Yes. He says it again here. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. The concluding verse of the book of Ecclesiastes is God will judge and bring every secret thing to account. Like that's the hope and good news of that Ecclesiastes. Is the hope. Yes. That God will judge injustice and reward righteousness. That's the hope of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. But here, for there's a time and matter for every work, is what he's saying is like there's a time for injustice to reign and for justice to reign and that we're in a currently watching a time that God has allotted for injustice. Like what is that? that Oh no, I think he's pulling on everything he just set up in one to 15. He's used, he's, he's using this language of there's a time for this and a time for that to, to remind us of this whole point he just made that God has set times in place Mm -hmm. and we don't know when they are. So what he's pulling on here, he's like, I know that there are places of judgment and justice that are full of wickedness, but God will call all things into account. Mm-hmm. However, we don't know when that will be. So There's a time like, for it, but we don't know when it is. So it's like there is a day of justice coming yes. where wickedness will be overturned, but we don't know when the Lord is coming back. Yes, even Jesus himself while he was on earth, you know, the, uh, yep. he was asked about when his return would happen. And he's like, only God knows. I don't know the day or the hour, you know. And so like this is very similar. We, he just doesn't know. Um, so the next verse then, so I, so yeah. I don't know when that day of ju- justice and wickedness will be overturned. So I said in my heart with regard to the children of men that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts, animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he talks about how the same fate, uh, like, uh, waits for them both because like, you know, dogs die and grandmas die, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like they, all, they all have the same <laughs> breath. And man has no advantage over the beast because everything is vanity. Everything is hevel. Everything is wind. And so the wrong thing to do here is what a lot of people do, which is say, so does he just not believe in an afterlife or Mm -hmm. an immortal soul or a final resurrection? And I was like, no. And just to drive that point home, verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upwards (laughs) and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. So what I saw there is nothing better than man should rejoice in his work. For that right. is lot because who can see what will be after him? Right. So what he's saying, he's he's not saying that he believes Doesn't. that there is no afterlife. That's not what he's saying. He's saying I can't prove to you that there is an afterlife. Yes. Right. If you just look, everything dies, and like, and that's just the destination the point. for all bodies, yeah. all breathing things is death. That's and right. You don't know yep. whether there's an afterlife or not. You, I can't right. prove it to you. Right. Yep. He just has, he, he just, he's, and, and in classic Kohelet style, he is chastening his own statement of faith. He's like, I know that God will bring to judgment the righteous and the wicked, mm-hmm. but let me go back under the sun. I Everyone dies and you. goes to the same place. I can't prove it to you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So why? Why does he do that? 
I think it's because that, like, I, I think he's, I think, he, I think throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he is trying to uphold his initial experiment, which is to um, see if he can find what would profit man if he only limited his experiment to the things that he could observe under the sun. And, and yet every now and then he's a God fearing man. And so he has to let the light shine in and Mm -hmm. give you a little hope or else this would not be a helpful book, you know? And so he, he lets that come in, but then always chastens it because he is, he's trying to prove a point that I, I know that it's true because I've read the Torah, like that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. But when I yeah. look out in the world, it doesn't seem like that. Because as if he didn't, as of an experimenter as he's trying to be, like he can't yes. really be one because he loves Yahweh. He fears yes. the Lord. He yeah. knows that God will come and judge. And he, but what he's trying to do is to, here's, this might be helpful. Uh, so I've been a youth pastor for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And I meet a lot of teenagers who inherit their faith from their parents uncritically. They and they go through life really optimistic, never face any real challenges to their faith, and just accept everything as given. Well, God will judge. It's going to be fine. And there's this kind of naivety, naivete, mm. that comes with that type of faith that I find myself embodying cohelet with. No, no, no. Don't you, like, okay, then, you believe that God is real? Prove it to me. Mm. Like, give me evidence that God is real. And what happens? They've never been asked that question before because all their friends are Christians. Their parents want to protect them from doubt and disbelief. So they never teach them about like objections to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so I just push on them a little bit and say, hey, hey, why? how can God be good and suffering exist? Right. And they fall over. Right. And so like what I found my job often was to like be cohelet to my naive mm-hmm. students and mm-hmm. push on all their expectations that everything's going to turn up roses that their life is always going to be the pro- book of Proverbs always. And say, no, 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 no. Wow. How do you know that there's an afterlife? Prove right. it to me. Yep. By this book? Well, I don't believe that book. <laughs> like, so, so tell yeah. me, like, t- like, I do believe that book, but like right, but you're embodying skeptical yeah. Seth for a second, like, well, like, I don't believe that book. Why would I believe that there's an eternal, like an afterlife? And they can't answer. Right. And so like I found, and so maybe another way to think about Kohelet is he's doing that. Like there's these not, like there's, a naivety to the faith of Israel or to the faith of his son or just to the faith of his audience. And he's saying, let me push on that for a second and show you that you need answers to these things. Yeah. I think that's helpful. I think another, I think that's absolutely happening. I think the other side of what's happening is that he is trying, he would lose all credibility um, for his, uh, for like who he is and what he set out to do. If he did not chasten, or if he if he made such a big statement about God's final justice and didn't immediately chasten it with a pragmatic cynical view of the world like that that he he's trying to show the world that they cannot find meaning only under the sun mm. and if he just all of a sudden was like but God will judge it all and then moving on right right right, right. he would lose credibility as That's the cynic and so, so he like... has to go back and say like now I know observationally it looks like everyone's going to die and no one is held into account that, you know, Hitler killed, you know, killed himself in a bunker and he escaped just justice. Like, I know that's what it looks like, but I promise there is a day coming. So yeah. he's like, he's stating the observable and mm. the faith. That's because without doing that, he can't speak both to the world weary and the naive. 
So right. we talked about like the two like poles that you can read Ecclesiastes to is either like optimism or nihilism. Like the, mm-hmm. you want to read them either way, but well, it's structured in such a way that like no 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 the naive's assumptions about the way that life should be are constantly being pressed down, mm-hmm. and the world weary are saying no 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 there's something better above the sun. Like right. I see your pain, and there's something better above the sun. Yeah. That's super fascinating. And if he wrote yeah. it any other way, he couldn't speak to both those audiences. That's right. Yep, he would alienate one. Yeah, fascinating. It's interesting. So, kind of keeping up with the theme of justice here, um, he talks about how you know if if you look out into the world and you see that the poor are oppressed and that there's wicked people in places of power, he doesn't say like that's a novel thing, right? <laughs> he says, "Don't be surprised when you see this," that's which like is such for eight, me is such good eight. news. Five yeah. eight, <laughs> yeah, yeah, five eight, yeah, yeah. So like that's such good news to me because like. Every day I feel like I come home and my wife says, like, did you see, you know, what, you know, X world leader did, you know, or have you heard about what bill a local governor passed, you know, and it's something horrendous that oppresses people and favors the people in power at, at the expense of those who are marginalized. And, and I just find myself being like, yep, that sounds about right. Like that, right. that sounds like the wicked world we live in. I'm not like, wait, he did what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the news is not surprising to me right now. Um, and I think a big part of that is because of this book. Like I've just, I just know mm, right. that the world leaders are by and large going to be wicked. And so I think like one that shouldn't surprise me and thus end my, my hope in the world or my hope in God and be like, oh, never mind. We're going yeah. to hell in a handbasket. Give up hope. Abandon ship. Yeah. Not, and I think it should also breed a healthy skepticism of worldly leadership that we, sh- yeah. that we should not implicitly trust the justice systems that the world is able to contrive, but to frame our view of justice through the, through the lens of Scripture and let yeah. God be the judge. Yes. That's good. That's so, good. Justice. Justice. Um, so I, I think we have to talk about then is how does Jesus bring better justice than Kohelet was able to see here in this moment or that he was, or than the, than the justice that we experience by and large in the world. Right. I keep rereading a lot. And this is Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I saw the oppressions that are done into the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. Oh man. I know the tears of the oppressed. And so I th- I mean the very basic turn here is that Jesus sees the tears of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Jesus comforts those that are oppressed by the broken systems of our world. I mean it's really sim- it's really simple, but yeah. it's also true. Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. Yes. By- he he is near to and binds up the brokenhearted. Where where is that in the Bible? I forget. <laughs> you can Google it. Um, yeah, absolutely right. And like, not, I mean, we're going to go out of order here of the biblical narrative, but I mean, we're told that when Jesus returns in Revelation twenty-one, we're told that when he returns, he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like we won't cry anymore. Yes. The, the tears of the oppressed will turn into shouts of joy in the presence of Jesus when he returns. And like that return of Jesus will be the time that Kohelet is talking about that he doesn't know when it's going to be. It will be the time when we see that animals and humans are not the same. It's the time that we're going to see that the righteous and the wicked are judged perfectly. And what Jesus will do is two things. He will, on the one hand, 
um, look at those who have put their faith in him and have hidden themselves in him, given him their allegiance and trust. And he will look at them and they will know that they deserve death, that they deserve judgment and justice. And in that moment, when Jesus looks at me, I often think about this day, I will immediately rehearse every sin I've ever committed whether yeah. cognizant or subconscious, I will see the, the ways I accidentally hurt people. I'll see the ways that my buying decisions in stores hurt hurt people through the, our complicated world economy and sweatshops and you know uh, like um, mines in Africa where they mine our technology equipment and like I'll, I'll realize the sin of my iPhone was worse than I thought it was. All these things, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'll know that I deserve death and separation from him. And I will look at him and I'll know that it would be good for him to give it to me. I'm like, yes, enact justice, Lord. You deserve that. Please bring that. It would be good for you to do it. Yet in that moment, he will show me the cross and he will be like, all of that that you need to be put on you and that you know you deserve, I already dealt with fully and perfectly on the cross for you. Full justice was enacted on me. Yes. But then there's another group of people who have not put their trust in Jesus and have committed all the same atrocities I've committed. And, you know, in others. Yeah. And, and their justice will be dealt upon their own heads because it was not, they did not trust Jesus to take that judgment on himself. Um, Jesus, I will bind up the brokenhearted is from oh, Psalm 34. Psalm it's actually, 34. It's a Psalm of David. Mm. So, I mean, again, like this there you could go. be a, Sol- a Solomonic rebuke or a addendum to his father. Yeah. And he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered and shamed. The poor man called, the poor man called, and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who takes refuge in him. Hmm. And he goes on to talk about uh, binding up the brokenhearted. And then uh, he says this. Uh, at the very end, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Mm. It's both sides of the same coin you're talking yes. about. The Lord hears the tears, sees the tears of the brokenhearted. He will bring justice. He will comfort them and bring justice for them. He will allow them to taste and see that the Lord is good, which I think is fascinating that David talks about tasting and seeing far more often than right here. And one of the, mm. the pieces of advice from Solomon or from Kohelet is to eat and to drink like yeah. as we are on this earth. And God will also slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous, the foes of the poor will be condemned. And the Lord will rescue his servants from injustice. Like mm. That's the hope of the Old Testament. It's yep. fulfilled in Jesus. And Kohelet's kind of throwing it up against the wall and saying, it's not happening all the time. Yeah. And what it should, ha- it should make us do is long for it to happen. Yes. It should make us long for Psalm 34 to be true. So le- even like less than a rebuke of his father, it's almost as if he wants us to grow- go back yeah. and see the hope of his father in Psalm right. 34. And By showing right. us the the hevel of the other option. Yes. That yeah. if, if the courts are full of wickedness and everyone equally dies, what's the point? Yeah. Like there is no justice. He's like, 
unless Psalm 34 is true. <laughs> unless Psalm 34. So go read that again and yeah. worship that Lord. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just love that that picture of Jesus being the ultimate judge who fixes um, all of this wickedness in, um, in, in the places of judgment and justice. It's just, it's such a great picture. And that he does it at great personal expense to himself. Yeah. That he fixes justice by taking justice on himself. You know, like, it's just, it's a beautiful, it's my, it's like one of my favorite ways to process the gospel. He fixes justice by placing judge, judgment on himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because I think that's the, the heart of injustice is, um, is, is judging, is like, like mm. taking it out on those who don't deserve it to preserve yourself. Like right, injustice is judging other people for your selfish desires and motivations. Mm-hmm. I want to get ahead in life, and right. so I judge you as less worthy than me. Right. Uh, therefore, I will I will make your life miserable to make mm-hmm. my life better. Yep. And Jesus did the exact opposite of that. Jesus does not count uh, his desires as more significant than others. Mm-hmm. He elevates yep. other people's goals, desires, just hopes for justice and flourishing. And says, those are more important. In order for you to achieve that, I will become like the one crushed by injustice Mm -hmm. so that you may experience true justice through my death. Mm, So good. All right. Well, let's move on to one last section and talk about what is probably the most talked about theme in these uh, three chapters, which is uh, the unmet expectations of wealth. And uh, so we'll jump into that. Okay. Okay, so Kohelet kind of shifts topics from uh, injustice to a related topic, wealth. Right. Like, it's all, almost very rarely do you have injustice without money. <laughs> so, like, they're related topics. Yeah, that's uh, true. But the way that he begins talking about the way that wealth and work don't satisfy is found in Ecclesiastes 4.4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is a vanity and a striving after wind. He says the underlying motivation mm. for the reason we work hard is because we want to keep up with the Joneses. Like that's really mm-hmm. at the heart of human ambition and progress is and work mm. trying to do better and to have what somebody else has. The grass is greener syndrome right. rules the wor- the place of work, mm. income, and money, and that's his like opening salvo. Yeah on his like new section on wealth and money as a wise man once said he ain't wrong, he ain't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, what man is that again <laughs> i don't know just some man <laughs> john, wayne. john wayne or something i don't have a clue but yeah it's true um and it's 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 sobering and i think we want to be the exception to this rule um that no i'm not motivated by envy and every decision I've made has been altruistic or self-motivated or, you know, like, and it's like, no, why do you want what, why do you want to have what everyone else has? Why do you want? Really? Yeah. Well, because it's newer. Are you sure? It's cool. Or is it just because I mean, I guess I don't, I guess I I don't need it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's so true. And, um, and anyway, and so what then what what he then does after that is basically forces you to look at the end of your striving after the wind envy 
and he, he tries to get you to see how pointless it is. Like he's he gets he basically is like it's you know everything's based on envy and it's chasing after the wind. You don't believe me? Let me show you some examples yes. of what this looks like. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah. So can we look uh, at some of them? He goes on before even it's it's weird. Kohela does that thing where he starts doing disconnected proverbs. So he moves. So he moves what? on from, he kind of gives you this hint about envy and work and money. And then he goes on to the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. And then he talks about like the benefits of partnership with somebody else, which I think is interesting. Um, it's worth reading, but really it kicks back up again. This theme in verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Um, I think I was wondering if he's like commenting on his own life. You, yeah, it's hard not to think he that, he, prison, that he isn't that from he prison is to this, a throne. <laughs> yeah, that he, or that well, or that he is this old foolish king who right. can no longer yes. heed his own warnings. Like that he, especially if this was Solomon, that he's this wise man who knows how to articulate everything that's wrong in the world, but can't heed it himself, and he keeps chasing after the wind, even though he yeah. knows it's pointless. And even at the, yeah. I just I can't help but think that he is this old wise king, hoping that his young wise son will right. be better than him. I, th- I think you're exactly right. I, I mean, it could. I mean, it could yeah. be. Which is which is sad because if it was Solomon, historically it speaking, didn't work it out didn't work him. out. I mean, it could be Joseph. <laughs> Joseph went from a prison to a throne, and he. Yeah, he could be, or he could be reflecting could be, on that's Joseph. What I meant. Like he, refle- he could even be reflecting on his oh, own yeah, father. Okay. I mean, his father was in exile in caves, and then became a king. Mm-hmm. And then he says this in 15, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that one youth that was poor and wise, who was to stand in the king's place. And there's no end to all the people, all of whom this foolish king led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. One of the ways that we can work is by improving the scope of our leadership, the number of people that submit and report to us. A king can look over mm-hmm. the land and see everybody bows to him, but nobody will remember him. Fool, like no, like right. Nobody will remember him. Yep. Yeah. As soon as he's gone, they they bow to the. Why next do you successor. think the wise and poor boys highlighted here? Is it because like? he will be surprised if he's elevated? Is it because he is not going to like hope that his leadership as a king will cause him to be remembered? Like as a king, you're always going to be frustrated by the fact that you, your legacy won't survive. But if you're poor and wise, you'll be content with the yeah. lot that you've been given. Like what's, well, I think there's two. So I think there's two things happening. Uh, and I think the first is highlighted by some of the stuff we skimmed over to get here, which was it's all these proverbial dichotomies, which talk about like there's a poor man who folds his hands. Mm-hmm. Right. So like he doesn't work and he ends up eating his own flesh. So like he, you know, he, he ends up like yeah, starving to death, man, yeah. basically. Right. But then there's but then there's the other side of that who he fills both his hands with toil so he's not, he's not folding his hands. He's filling both both his hands up with as much work as he can possibly do, but he can't even enjoy what he's doing. And so he's like, there is two extremes in this world: either the nihilistic, lazy person who ends who up starving to death, and or <laughs> right, and then yeah, then the other person who uses everything at their disposal, but is so busy running around trying to do everything that they can't even but enjoy what they're a doing. Handful and, of quietness yep. and a and one, one handful, handful of work. Yep. And that middle road 
is the way to wisdom. Like there's wisdom in the middle road yes. between doing right. everything you can to secure for yourself wealth mm-hmm. or fame or a legacy and doing nothing yes. at all because everything is pointless. There's like, yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think he's pulling on that a little bit here is that he has two uh, dichotomized people in this mm-hmm. King story. You have this old foolish King who can't heed warnings anymore. He, and you can kind of picture this, like this happy, you know, King sitting in his throne with all the food he wants and doing everything he wants. He's Kohelet sitting on the throne, pursuing pleasure, all he wants. And he's, he's, he's not happy. And so you have this other humble, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, what's the uh, salt of the earth kind of guy coming up and he takes the throne and people love him. Everyone, everyone who walked, everyone who lived under the sun followed that young man and he was so popular, but then even he passed away and no one, no one remembered him. And so it's like, it doesn't matter is what he's saying. He's like, if you're an old foolish king or a young popular one, eventually it just yeah. doesn't matter. And so I think he's again talking about it. So it's probably better to be like a, you know, like a chill, chill surf, surf, you know, well, and just hang out and, and work in the field. Well, it's probably like what he would the, say. The, the good advi- the advice that he gives over and over and over again, which we haven't gotten to yet in this section. But uh, every uh, this is chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 18. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil mm-hmm. which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given for him. For his, This <laughs> is his lot. And so the idea, I think part of the wisdom there is that you could spend your life trying to figure out the way that eating and drinking the best food and the best wine and the best work will satisfy you, and it mm-hmm. won't. You could do nothing. Nope. And you're just gonna you're gonna starve to death. The middle road, the wise road, is to, with one hand, grab a hold of ambition. With one hand, grab a hold of good hard work. Rest. And one hand, grab a hold yeah. of rest and live there. That yeah. is, the Eden, in a fallen world. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah yes. Right. Eden, yeah. Eden in a fallen world. Right. So I think that's one okay. one point he's making here. I think the other way to view it kind of goes back to the beginning with the nature metaphors that Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. starts with about just the cyclical pointlessness of life that you have an, an old yeah. king who used to be wise and he's become foolish can no longer heed warnings, which means he used to be able to heed them. So at one time he was a young wise king who grew up, was callous, yeah. misled his people. So that required another young wise king to rise up who will take his place and will not be remembered, who will cause another wise king to rise yeah, yeah. up. And yeah. it's just, it's pointless. It's this sick, it, the, the river rushes to its place and yet the lake is never full. And like, that's what's happening here is just, it's like the, and, and, and if we read this, especially in the frame of riches and justice it seems that even the kings of this earth which would be the highest point of that uh, to which our envy could take us are not satisfied so that's the richest side and then also that the kings of this earth that end up ruling end up always having to be deposed because they're not doing Mm -hmm. justice correctly and so they're foolish and can't heed warnings so we need a wise one to take their place but then that one can't heed warnings so we need another wise one to take its place but then that one gets corrupt and like or assassinated or whatever happens and it's like we can't do justice right and we can't pursue wealth right we just can't do anything right even in the even in the places of power where it seems most prominent and available 
even those places, those seats of power, the presidency of the United States, the throne of England, all these places will inevitably fail. even if we were able to grab a hold of wealth, let's just say for the sake of, and Kohala does this, he says, let's for the sake of our argument, Mm -hmm. say we can grab a hold of wealth by some means. Verse 13 of chapter 5, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. And those riches were lost hmm. in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So sometimes we can hmm. grab a hold of the wealth and for a time. And then we lose it in a bad investment and we have nothing to pass on to our son. And then he says, let me imagine another scenario. Chapter 6. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. And yet, God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them instead. So it's like you have everything you could possibly want, but the only people that enjoy it are not you. Mm-hmm. Which is, mm-hmm. I, I, yep. It, it reminds me of Tony like, Stark. Uh, um, he's like, oh, he throws, yep. I, yeah, I'm watching go. Iron Man with my kids <laughs> right now. Like he has yep. all this money, all this wealth, all of his power, and it's not satisfying to him. The, Right, but people, he throws big parties that aren't satisfying to him, but people come and they're time, having a good time. And he's just getting drunk in his Iron Man suit. <laughs> like, like that's like, that's, that's the, that's the hevel. Like, he has all this wealth, but yep. he can't enjoy it. Um, he has everything he could ever want, but wealth doesn't deliver what it promised to him, or he hoped it could. Right. Yep. And so, I mean, what, so, I mean, let's answer this question. What is Kohelet getting at here? And then how, and then what does, like, what does the gospel have to say about this? I think are the two yes. questions I want to answer when, when it comes to wealth. So what is Kohelet getting at here? I mean, the simplest answer is that riches yeah. are not going to satisfy you and that it's better to just be a laborer and like do hard work and you can eat a little or much. This is, I'm reading Ecclesiastes 5.12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them. The more no you sleep. have, the more worried you and, are about losing yeah. it. The more money you have invested in the stock exactly. market, the more frustrated you are when yep. the economy crashes. But if you're just right. working paycheck to paycheck, there's actually a lot of peace that comes from that. There is stress, lots right. of stress. There's, there's stress. also a peace right. in knowing that your money is in your control and directly related to how much you can work. Yeah. Yep. I think verse and seven, so six, I just seven. Think like, yeah. all the toil okay. of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. Under the sun, mm-hmm. there we believe in this formula. I exist to eat, and I eat, and I'm never satisfied. Like, under the sun, like, that's mm-hmm. all there is. I exist to fulfill my desires, and they're never met. That's life under the sun. Yep. Um, right. And I think that's the main point. Like I, ex- like we believe yeah. we exist to fulfill our desires, and they're always unmet. Right. So what does that tell us mm-hmm. about life? And I think Kohelet would tell us that means that's not all there is to life. Jesus would tell us, right. Man must not live by bread alone, work alone, wealth alone, mm-hmm. but every word mm-hmm. that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Which is why I think in the middle of all this section about the hevel and mm. vanity of wealth and everything. You have chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. I think this is a little fascinating inclusion because... It's very disjoint. It feels it very feels disruptive. Dis- more disruptive than the partnership p- proverb or anything else, in part yes. because the audience changes. 
Luke. The right, pronoun, the pronoun he, he that he uses Instead changes. of just describing the world that he sees, he starts making directive you statements. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. When you vow a vow to God. When you see a province. It's almost as if like the author of Kohelet has this audience within an audience in mind. And that's in why mind, that's, it goes back yeah. to the son thing. That's why it could potentially be a father. It's like, okay, you see all the hevel? Let me cut through it all, son, and let me get to the heart of the matter. Fear God mm. and keep his commandments. That is the whole duty yeah. of man, which goes exactly to what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm. If you believe life is a formula from, I exist to fulfill my desires, you will always be right. dissatisfied under the sun. The only solution mm-hmm. to that is to remember that you were meant for more than your appetites. You were meant to live for God. Your duty is to God and to his law. That is what brings satisfaction. Okay. That is where you find meaning in life. I think, okay, yes. I think I'm following you. So let me repeat something to you and see if I'm, yes. if I'm tracking here. Because uh, I think I'm seeing Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7, like I've never seen it before. So let me, let me process here. So there's these... It's it's surrounded by wealth sections, how wealth yes. will never satisfy, right? And how justice is fleeting. And it's surrounded by these things. And it, it interrupts them without any kind of connective tissue at all. It's just yep. plopped in. And so we're thinking about how I have all these desires that need to be met. And I have hungers that I'm looking to be met under the sun. They're not going to be met. And my whole life, no matter what I do, will be pointless, and I'll, I will be unremembered whether I'm the king of the world or the poorest man who's ever lived. It's all pointless. So where do I turn? Well, I would just be thinking, I, well, then I won't give my life to those things. I'll give my mm-hmm. life to God, and I'll run into the temple, and I'm going to run into the temple, and I'm going to commit yes. myself to God. And I say, God, you can have it all. And then strangely, though, I get corrected by him for this yes. assumption, and he says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God, and don't make a hasty vow. Like, it's better just to go in and listen than to make a hasty vow that you give everything you have to God and then not I be able to I will go to, to church it. every Sunday like, if you just give me what I yeah. want, God. And he's like, don't, don't, don't do that, because, <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, oh, okay. Oh, that's not how I was, you might be closer to it there. That's better. I was thinking it was this uh, pious mm, movement. Right. It could be. But yeah. what you're it could be, but I think it makes it makes more sense with the context that it's like, okay, I have a loophole for you here, Kohelet. If I can't work for everything that would bring me satisfaction, you know, and, and finally be satisfied, then God could right. give it to me. And that's often what vows would do, especially corrupt ones. They would go in and be like, God, I will do XYZ for you right. if you do this for me. Yeah. Quid pro that's quo. Exactly right. right? <laughs> like Yeah. And he's like, Don't, Don't be that. an idiot. Guard, don't do that. Guard your steps. That's God's not yeah, one to like be trifled he, with. You go into the temple like, of God and promise him something, he's going to expect it from you, uh, which is kind of goes back yep. to Leviticus and Deuteronomy where there's all these commands about rash vows and like the proper way to make yes. a vow to the Lord. Uh, yep. And they always came after really intense moments of um, yeah. judgment from God where it was like, like, oh man, I don't want that to happen to me, or like, I want to be better than everyone else, or you know, yeah. I want to recover from this horrible situation. So I'll go make a rash vow of something ridiculous and hope God yeah. meets me on the other side. And it's like, whoa, slow down! Don't do something you're going to regret because you're going to overpromise. But I like what you said as well about like, if you're recognizing that all this is hevel, 
the world around you is hevel, you can run naively to God and just expect to your God. piousness yeah. to be what saves you from it. But he's saying, no, 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 mm. don't do that. Fear the Lord, sit at his feet and listen. And that ties really well with something we'll get to in Ecclesiastes 7. This is 7.16. Do not be overly righteous and do not make right. yourself too wise. The idea is that we can pursue holiness in such a way that it becomes corrupt, like the Pharisees did in the New yes. Testament. You can pursue wisdom in such a way that you're just a dry, arid philosopher, and it becomes too much. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, you can pursue wisdom in the same way you pursue riches or religion, the same way you pursue wealth, right? Um, uh, or uh, or Christian yes. or like a religion, the same way you, you, you pursue riches, um, and and it and it also comes yeah, from you can envy. pursue. I want to be as holy. I want to be as holy yes. as that person. Or I, I thank could, God I could I'm not as, like as that tax collector over there. Right. Right. Yes. Envy. Envy. So the idea yes. is we can use not just money, wealth, and sex to satisfy us. We can use a form of morality to satisfy us, and That's it good. won't. The solution mm. is to fear God and to keep His commandments. Yeah. That is the solution to life under the sun. Not to like spread yourself too thin, trying to fill an appetite, whether with morality, sex, or power, but fear God and to keep his commandments. I think, I think the best yeah. way to sum this up yeah. in how Jesus speaks to this moment is in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Place your treasures in heaven. Don't build for yourself mm-hmm. up on earth mansions, homes, stock houses full of wealth. Place your treasures in in heaven because there moths can't get to them thieves can't destroy mm-hmm. them they're not they're not <laughs> um, liable to the stock market just injustice can't right. take them in heaven when we fear god and keep his commands our treasures are eternally secure and we can bank it there yeah. right and it's like you know Kohelet talks about in these passages how uh you know, naked you came into this world and naked you will return. You know, you're going to go to the grave empty-handed no matter how much you had. You know, how, no, no matter how yeah, fancy yeah. your coffin <laughs> is, you know, whether it's a whether it's a wooden casket or one of the the, uh, the the tombs of the pharaohs in the Great Pyramids, you know, you can't take it with you. And, uh, yeah, I think Jesus is like, there is, but there is an eternal place to yeah. bank your treasure. Yeah, yeah I there's think it's, it's such good and news. I, with, I love so that. In all this about money and wealth, there's an eternal place to put your treasures mm-hmm. where you will always be um, rewarded proportionally to your effort. On the earth, you're never rewarded mm. proportionally to your effort. Oh, right? Like yes. it's always hamstrung right, right. by something. Either it's given away to somebody else or your leadership is forgotten or your legacy never arrives. Like, But in heaven, your efforts are proportionally <laughs> rewarded. And right. your work is too. Like, it's not just mm. uh, rewards. Your work is. Think about 1 Corinthians mm. three ten, where whatever is built, whatever is built apart from the foundation of Jesus Christ, when the fire comes, is all burned up. So mm-hmm. only what's built right. on the foundation of fearing God and keeping his commandments lasts until the end. So there's a sense that even our work too mm. lasts through into eternity if we are wise yeah. in how we pursue it. Yeah. So I think I think something we need to define then is how do we build treasure in heaven and how do we build upon the foundation of Christ by 
fearing God and obeying his commandments. Because I think these passages have often been used by like televangelists to be like, you know, hey, why are you why do you have that money sitting in a savings account? Get it out and put and give it to my ministry and then it'll be secure in heaven. I'll put yeah. it up there for you. You know, like is is the only way to build treasure in heaven giving it to your church or to a televangelist? Like- I think one of the ways that you build treasure in heaven is to do what Kohelet tells us to do over and over and over and over again. Not only the final command to fear God and keep his commandments, but to eat, drink, and enjoy our toil. This is, I mean, this goes to the heart of the disagreement we have over the book of Ecclesiastes, Mm. but it also plots the middle way. The Lord has given to us a life to be faithful in. Like he's given us gifts to steward, money to steward, a job to steward, And with those gifts, we can be tempted to go all in and say, well, if I just work harder, if I get more money, if I have more pleasure, then I'll be satisfied. No, the middle road is not to grab two hands, or the the, the wise life is not to grab two hands on a gift from God or to withdraw them and say, well, I, I better not do anything and place no hands on your work. It's to place one hand on the gift of God and one hand on rest and then move forward to trust in the gift that God has given us and to rest in his promises. Like that might be like over spiritualizing some of what, what's going on here. But I think like it is a form of good news that we, when we do what God has given us, we trust in God and the, and the, what he's allotted for us in this season of life. And when we rest that he has taken care of what we need to be provided for, we will begin to store up treasures in heaven. Does that make sense? Is that like a... So you're talking, you're, ta- you're not talking about the method by which we store up treasures in heaven. You're, you're talking about this is how you create a heart that can store yes. up treasures in heaven. I think so. Is that what it's you're like, saying? Okay. What, is, what, is, what does store up treasures in heaven mean? It means trust Jesus. Trust that Jesus alone can save you. Trust that God alone can save you. Trust that God's law, his word, his commands are good for you. That's how you store up treasure in heaven, right? Like you, you believe in Jesus, mm. his sacrifice for you, and you do what he commands. So what does that mean on the ground? Like when you live your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What does it, what does it mean, what does for, it mean for my, my money? money? What does it mean for justice? It means you grab yeah. with one hand all that the Lord has given you and you enjoy it. You eat it. You work hard at it. And with the other hand, you rest in what everything Jesus has already accomplished. He will bring justice to bear. You will have, you are a co-heir with Christ and you will have all of his riches. So you can rest and not try to work so hard or like earn more money. You can fight for against injustice and also rest in a world of injustice, knowing that Jesus will come and bring final justice. Does that make sense? I think that's where I'm, I'm, it I'm, do, I'm it does make sense. Yeah. It doesn't make, I'm landing yeah. somewhere else, so I'll do, so I'll do my side. So I think the good news there is so, that trust God, yeah. fear his commands, enjoy the Lord's gifts, and then rest when they come to an end. And like when we do mm-hmm. that, we build up treasures in heaven. Our work that is here on the earth lasts into eternity, and we will see it on the other side. And we can enjoy the life we have while we're on the earth. I think that's the wisdom of Kohala. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think it, I, I, the other side of it I'll just present, which would be um, that I think Kohela is trying to show us the vanity of building up mm-hmm. treasure on earth and showing that it will never satisfy. 
And so it allows us to treat money differently and to treat work differently. So he's showing that, you know, everyone wants to work for themselves. But when we realize that that won't ever satisfy, um, we realize that we can work for others. Right. And we can toil on behalf of the justice of others and the good of others and the well-being of others. Whenever we realize that an accumulation of wealth will never satisfy, we realize that we don't need to ask the question, how much should I give, but how much should I keep? And we can change the way we view our resources, knowing that, like, I just need to provide for my needs. Mm -hmm. I don't need to provide for some kind of intangible fulfillment that I'll never actually reach. And so we can start to give our money to others or use our money as a tool to fight injustice and to relieve the oppressed. And we can start to do things with our money. And um, those are actions that we can take that Jesus I think whenever he talks about money, he, he's talking about action. He's like, don't store up your treasures here on earth where these bad things can happen to it. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven. I think he's talking about tangible treasures in both places. And it's like, but it, it's what we do with it. Do you hoard yeah. it or do you use it? And I, I think about the parable, you know, the talents. And I think about the way the early church viewed money by sharing things in common and using it to relieve the poor in other cities. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And how, how Paul would, would work with his hands to make tents in cities so he didn't have to um, burden a local community. Like, he understood these principles, like, that, that he didn't need a bunch of money. And so he didn't, you know, he just, I, I just think it frees us up to treat money differently than everyone else treats money. When we know that it's pointless and we know that it will never satisfy us, we get to have a relationship with money as Christians that no one else can have because we know it's a tool. It's not yeah. an end. And we know that it will never buy us here on earth what we actually think, want. And so we can use it differently. I think this is a helpful way to kind of sum up what you're saying and also kind of like some of what you're saying and also something that Kohela brings out. We are not free from the hevel of money. We are not free from the hevel right. of toil. We are not free from the smokiness of injustice until we realize we don't need that thing in order to be satisfied. And that mm-hmm. is part of what Kohelet wants us to see. We are, ru- we are like animals. We are ruled by our desires under the sun. And if we want to escape that animal-like existence where we just eat and eat to be filled and then are empty again, then eat and then are filled and to be empty again, we need to realize mm that we do not need that appetite fulfilled on the earth. We need that appetite fulfilled by the Lord. And once we do that, Mm -hmm. we are free from like the enslavement of hunger. We are freed from the enslavement of money. We're free from the enslavement of uh, workaholism. Like we're free from the enslavement of morality. Like we, we can be free to love God and do what we want. Like kind of like, Mm -hmm. uh, Right. To actually, we can be free to enjoy something as a gift from God instead of the end that we desire to finally yes. fill all the holes that we have. In yeah, our we're heart. always yeah. trying to fill up some ache, some dissatisfaction, some appetite. Yep. And it can be filled up, but not under the sun. Mm. Yep. I think there's one more little bit of the gospel I just want to explore here. Um, and that is um, that, you know, Jesus, I think it's amazing, has the proper understanding of riches and how to store up treasures in heaven, if you will, that he owns everything. 
he has the cattle on a thousand hills. He created everything, uh, and even everything uncreated is his. He owns untold power and dominion and vision and knowledge. Like he has it all, and yet he 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 knew that like that, and he was self satisfied. Like he was fully satisfied in himself. And yet, like, he gave of himself and limited himself and gave up mm-hmm. his riches and, like, became a human to to do something that uh, a rich king should never have to do, to die for his yes. servants, you know? And what's amazing is that uh, – and then, and, you know, and then what's amazing is obviously he got treasures in yeah. heaven. He was, you know, seated at the right hand of God, forever enthroned, uh, and, and God set everything under his feet. Like that's treasure in heaven. If you, you know, if you want to think about it like that, that Jesus received the ultimate crown yeah. over everything. Um, and when he did that, this is the other side for us that I think is amazing that I think we need to talk about is how Jesus breaks sin's power because mm. Kohelet is fatalistic in his determining of the impetus, the motivating drive that is behind every human yeah. action, that it's all envy, that we only ever do things out of selfish ambition right. and vain conceit, that we only ever do it because we want to keep it After with the, the Joneses. Curse, that's, that's, and, our pr- yeah. that's our predominant mo- motivation. That's all we can that's do. That's why it's in the part of the Ten Commandments. That's right. That's why the last command is do not covet. Like, yes, yeah. that's right. Yep. And so, uh, and so I think what's amazing is that we have to remember is that Jesus supernaturally breaks yes. that in us and can yes. break that in you that like he actually can take over the stronghold of sin and Satan in your heart and make you not envious anymore. He gives, he can give you a different motivation, which would be, you can become envious for his glory. Yes. Like, and that is what can be the motivating factor of your life is I want Jesus to be glorified. And so, yeah, you'll be ambitious. Yeah, you'll use money in very strategic ways, but you'll do it for a different end, namely the glory of Jesus. Think about this. Like the whole of Kohelet's wisdom is like what you desire is not going to satisfy. What you desire is not going to satisfy. What you desire is not going to satisfy. But the way that you find satisfaction is by satisfying yourself in the Lord by oh, so yes. Psalm 37, yes. delight yourself in the Lord and he will give and... you the desires of your heart. Psalm 21, yep. two, Psalm 145, delight yourself in the Lord and all that you've been searching mm-hmm. for will be found, but it's not found. Right. Like you must seek ye yes, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto in, you. Jesus said, uh, Matthew seven, Ask for whatever you want in my name, and I will give it mm-hmm. to you. This is Luke 11, Mark eleven twenty two. Ask for that mountain to be thrown into the sea, and it will be done. Why? Yep. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, everything that you want is satisfied. Your desires sync up with yes. God's desires. You, your time yes. is fixed. Like, this is what we talked about, how, like, God is doing things in the world, and we don't know what he's doing. When we delight ourselves in God and his desires become our desires, we sync up with his will. And so we start asking for him to do the things that he was about to do anyway. And, like, and mountains move. Like, it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's fun. We think. Well, great. We we, we We, needed that. Yeah. I've we been, need it. We I've needed been that. like that diagnosing all our episodes on this, and I keep thinking, like, man, like these feel like those philosophy classes I was in 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 college <laughs> and high school. Where it's like we're tr- 
Were there 90% frustrating? frustrating and like, why are we so talking about this? Well, that's an interesting perspective. Well, that seems to contradict that. And well, that's different. And well, uh, that it, life is pointless, isn't it? Well, maybe there's good news. And yeah. I feel like our whole episodes <laughs> on Ecclesiastes have felt like that. And maybe that's just the way you're supposed yep. to like engage with yeah, Ecclesiastes. It probably is. It's like, yep. I think if you're not spending the whole time, you're probably not engaging it the right way. So be encouraged if you feel that way and you're like, I can't make heads or tails of this. Like, we we barely we we barely can either. <laughs> like, but like, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If the Book of Kohelet is always trying to point out when you delight in other things, they fail you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and you will have what Kohelet says never exists under the sun. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.